Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott and I'm your host. I'm an intuitive human design alignment guide, a certified professional coach, and an instigator of joy. And I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for listening. I got a treat for you today. Daisy Gillespie. And before we get into Daisy and all of the wisdom that she brings, a little note on my personal journey to what we're talking about today. You see, I started my career post-college in marine conservation, in environmental management. That, I, I call myself currently a non-practicing marine biologist, yet that is still in me. My passion for the environment, you may have heard me talk about this before. I am still very passionate about the environment. And I recently learned about the impact that fashion has on the environment. And it absolutely blew me away. And it's something that I'm trying to be very intentional and conscious of because I don't want to contribute to the massive impact it is making on the environment. So here are just some, some things that I have learned about fast fashion. In 1960, the average American bought 25 items of clothing a year. Today, the average American buys 70 items of clothing per year. Clothing manufacturers used to come out with new lines seasonally. Now it's like weekly in some cases. Like you bought something last week, it's now out of style. And then the average American throws away 70 pounds of clothing and textiles per year. Now, what's so mind-blowing about that is I'm not throwing away 70 pounds of textiles and clothing a year. So that means that there are people who are throwing out a whole lot more than 70 pounds. Clothing doesn't weigh that much. 70 pounds of clothing and textiles every single year. So that's all going in landfills. And then a lot of the synthetic fibers that fast fashion is made from, they contain microplastics. Microplastics get in our waterways and they get in our marine animals, which then of course means if you eat fish, you're eating little bits of the clothing that you threw away. Just this impact is astounding to me. So when Daisy reached out and wanted to talk about being intentional and mindful in our fashion choices, it was a holy hell yes to talk to her. So Daisy is a personal stylist who intuitively guides her clients to discover what they feel best in. She helps them let go of the external messages they've been given about what they should wear and get to the heart of what's making them uncomfortable about their clothes. Through their work building a functional wardrobe, Daisy's clients make a mindset shift from thinking they need to wear what's flattering to unapologetically taking up space in the world. After a lifetime of jobs and high-stress careers that didn't suit her highly sensitive introverted personality, Daisy started Mindful Closet in 2013 in an attempt to create a more emotionally sustainable lifestyle. She's got two boys, ages two and six, and an amazing husband. Daisy is a really cool chick. I'm really excited to know her, and I'm excited to share this episode with you. First, a couple orders of business. If you enjoy the Find Your Awesome podcast, please share it with everyone you know. Please leave a five-star rating and a review. I would really appreciate that. 
please check out my new YouTube channel. You'll learn all about human design and tons of other stuff. The link is in the show notes. And then let's talk about you in your alignment for a second. You heard me talk about how I started out my career. Isn't it funny to say that? Like, I guess that's how we talk about the things we did right after college or the things we go to grad school for. So I started out my career in the environmental space. And it's not like I totally shut that down. That part of me didn't die. That part of me is still within me. I just decided I didn't want to do that as a means to make money. And just like that, the part of me that was a personal trainer, a fitness instructor, and a triathlon coach, that is still within me too. I'm still super passionate about health. So my part of my like full life alignment journey is in integrating all of these parts of me in being true to my values, for instance, of the environment and saying, whoa, this whole clothing thing is crazy. I don't want to contribute to this at all. How can I find the most sustainable, minimally impactful clothes, still feel amazing, look amazing, and not be throwing them out every few, well, 70 pounds a year. What is that? Throwing out clothes like every week? I don't know. I don't know. But how can I minimize my impact on the environment in all the ways while still thriving in my life? I'm asking you the same question. How can you love mama earth and love yourself? Note, I unintentionally just combined two of my bonus meditations. So there's reconnecting with mama earth that you'll find a few weeks ago and then love yourself, which was last week or two weeks ago. I don't know. You'll know when you look at the podcast list. That's enough for me, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Let's get out of the way, Kelsey, and let the listeners hear this conversation with Daisy. And don't you ever forget that you are a miracle, that you are here to be sparkly AF that you are here to be your aligned self, that your job on this planet is to be aligned. And in being aligned, you will share your gifts in the best way possible. You are here to change the world in your own very unique way. I love you. Go forth and be awesome. Stacey, welcome. I'm so excited you're here. I'm so excited to be here, Kelsey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we've already had a lot of fun chatting, and I want to like I want to know all the things from you. But one where I want to start is consumerism. Just, you're a stylist. You're you do personal shopping for people, like, and yet, what's your relationship with consumerism? Um, well, consumerism and I have broken up. We're no longer together. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, you know, it's a really hard place to be in right now because we're getting so many messages, um, from so many directions about so many things that we need to buy. Um, and I, I definitely am someone that loves clothes. I love fashion and, um, for, you know, most of my life for me, that meant 
shopping for and buying things. Um, and I got to a certain point in my like early thirties, I would say where I realized that I was kind of on this cycle of buying things, wearing them maybe once or twice and realizing like, uh, I didn't really like this as much as I thought I did when I bought it. And actually I'm going to donate it and keeping, and then, well, now I need some new things because I donated a bunch of stuff. I cleaned it out. I like to have a clean closet. So I'm constantly cleaning things out and constantly replenishing it with new stuff. And just realizing like that I was in this cycle that was like kind of never ending and realizing that's kind of a crappy way to live, you know, and then, and then getting into, I mean, we can have a, a whole other side conversation about ethical fashion and fashion manufacturing and kind of the effects that it has on, on the world. But, but even just from a consumption standpoint of like, how much do I need? How much do I need to keep bringing in? How much time and energy am I spending on this process of buying new, getting tired of it, getting rid of it, cleaning out? How much time and energy am I spending on storing and organizing this stuff? And can I break that cycle mm -hmm. basically? So I was thinking about this conversation this morning, like this conversation that we're having now. And I was like, wait, did I, have I bought anything in the last year in terms of clothes? I realized bike shorts and a couple uh, white tank tops so I could tie dye them. Mm, fun. <laughs> and that's all yeah. I purchased in yeah. the past like 365 days. Yeah. And it's, it's such an interesting from, I, I retired from social media, mm. uh, what, like eight months ago. Mm -hmm. And so I'm no longer seeing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that side of the buy this now and look, this mm -hmm. is brand new and you need this, mm -hmm. but I still am getting the emails, mm -hmm. which I rarely open. Mm -hmm. But of course when I do, I'm like, Oh, do I need another pair of these? Do, mm -hmm. You know, that, yeah. that message is just so loud. And one of the things when you talked about ethical fashion and one of the things that came up for me, um, I don't know, spring, summer, 2020 is one year is like one month. I don't know yeah. when things happened, but the environmental impact of fashion and fashion being all clothes and my like, wait, this is out of alignment for me to be purchasing things that may have been really detrimental to the environment in their creation. Mm. How do you, well, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Sure. Yeah. Well, it's, it's an interesting thing because, um, there's a lot of pressure on both sides. There's a lot of pressure to buy things. And then there's also a lot of pressure that if you are aware of the environmental impacts, um, to be perfect and to have a perfect impact and to, to leave no trace on the planet. And that's an equally hard place to be in. And so I generally try and choose the middle way. And mm -hmm. um, for me, the most ethical thing that you can do, there, there, for me, there's a hierarchy of levels in terms of ethical fashion. So the absolute most ethical thing you can do is wear what you already have um, and make use of what you already have. Um, but I'm also you know, a realist and I am also a you know, defender of women and women's bodies changes, women's needs change. We go through lifestyle changes. We move to different climates. We, you know, we're going to need things at a certain point. And I also, there's also nothing wrong with, with 
clothing your body. I mean, that is actually a human need, you know, in our society. Um, and so um, when you do need things, um, the most ethical thing you can do is, um, I believe the most ethical thing you can do is buy secondhand. Um, and so these are things that have already been out in the world. They've already um, been manufactured and you're not, um, you're not contributing to a demand for something. So these things already exist. And I mean, so many of them exist and we have a glut of overabundance of, of secondhand clothes um, in our society. Um, so much so that they're often just trashed, you know, cause we kind of can't get rid of them. Um, and then there's also a level of, certainly there are companies that make fashion in an ethical way where they pay their workers fair wages, where they um, dispose of their waste in an in um, environmentally friendly way, um, you know, where they use fabric that's been, you know, woven by, you know, from organic cotton or organic threads. And, you know, and that all can get very overwhelming as well. And so, you know, it's an easy way to do it, but it's not the cheapest way for sure. It's definitely, you definitely end up paying for all those things, which, you know, when you get, um, ha having worked through all those issues for me, it's worth it. But for some people, it, it, it may not feel easy enough to do yet. But, but the next most ethical thing you can do is to make sure that you buy things mindfully in a way that works for you, things that are truly you, things that are truly what you want to wear that will work for your life, and then wear them over and over and over again. And so for me, that's real, where the real connection between the, the, the overconsumption and the kind of ethical fashion overlap, because the pressure to buy is often from external sources telling us, and I know you love to talk about shoulds, but telling us what things we should wear or what we should have. And my like goal in all my work is to help women tap into their needs from an internal source and figure out what they wanna be wearing. Because then when they make those purchases, they're much more likely to get used. And for me, just, just using things feels environmentally conscious, you know what I mean? Like to have things that you use that function well, that you use over and over, um, to me, that's just what feels the most um, just sensible in a, in a way that takes care of everyone. Mm. For somebody who's listening, who might be like, well, how do I know what I want to wear? How do you help people figure that out? Well, the first level for me um, when I'm working with clients is, and again, I know it's something you talk about, but just kind of peeling back those layers, like go back, um, do some journaling and write about your style story, write about what you were told as a little girl that you should be wearing. You know, what messages did you get from your mom or your grandma or your weird cousin, you know, like, of like, you know, what weird looks did you get if you wore something that felt like you, but wasn't what other people thought you should be wearing. Um, just kind of processing all of those messages um, and then kind of going on through time. How about in high school? You know, what did you feel pressure to wear because other kids were wearing? Um, again, what was, you know, maybe something that your parents didn't want you to leave the house in? Um, and just kind of, so for me, it's, have, it's acknowledging those external messages so that you can process them and then release them and let those go. Yes. So that's the very first step. So what kind of messages did you get as a well, little kid? I, yeah, I have a really interesting story. So when I work with women, um, a lot of them 
um, it's very common where women were given um, the message that they should always look as small as possible. They should always be trying to look as feminine as possible. They should always try and look as neat and tidy as possible um, and pretty and, you know, all these things, just the kind of like general white patriarchal, you know, beauty standards. Um, and I, interestingly enough, had kind of the opposite upbringing because my parents are very cool people, um, but they were really opposed to me buying into any beauty standards. For instance, I wasn't allowed to pierce my ears. I wasn't allowed to wear makeup. I I was I got the message that by my caring about clothes, I was being really superficial. So it was a little bit of a different message. Um, and so, to be quite honest, I probably would have gone into some sort of career working with fashion if I hadn't gotten those messages from my parents. But so for a long time, I ignored those you know, feelings of my own that this was something I really loved um, and uh, and felt silly and, and superficial if I thought about it. Oh my goodness. This is so good because some of us, I believe, choose parents who are going to show us the way and, you know, pave the way for us. And others of us choose parents who we will look at and say, not this. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That, yeah, I've learned a lot from my parents. We'll just say that. <laughs> I have too. Yeah. Um, what was it like then when you stepped into fashion as your career? Oh, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you and say it's not something that I still feel comfortable sharing very much with my parents. It's not something that they um, understand in a way that... Um, for instance, you know, I'm sure a lot of us who are like online entrepreneurs or whatever, like, you know, it's kind of hard to explain to an older generation, well, I do stuff online and people pay me for it. Um, and so for my parents, again, it is just something that uh, was never of concern for them. It was never something they considered. And they were that way with everything, with their home. Like I love to make my surroundings beautiful and I love to spend time thinking about what would make me feel the best. Um, you know, in my home and on my body and all those things. And my parents were just kind of more in their head and more thinking about big ideas and just could not be concerned with that stuff. And um, it's just, it's just kind of not a shared topic of interest. So it doesn't really come up that much to be quite honest. Mm. What was it like? Um, no, I want to change the question. So looking back now, what would you tell your I don't know. Your younger self. You choose the the age. I would, I would tell my high school self that. Um, ugh, this is hard to say. I would tell myself that you're worthy no matter what you accomplish, um, and that you can do things that interest you that aren't status giving, um, that don't give you lots of you know, external validation um, and that you can pay attention to your true nature and temperament. I mean, if I had found human design when I was 16, things would have turned out a lot differently. Um, but instead I ignored a lot of uh, the things that my body has kind of always been telling me, like, this really freaks me out, like stop doing this. Um, and I continued with those things because I felt like I was on a path to achieving some goal and and I couldn't get off. 
And what was the goal you were going after? Well, I kind of mentioned in our little chat before that I, um, uh, I was a classical musician. So I, um, you know, in, in elementary school started playing an instrument and I, again, it was something that I kind of excelled at and got a lot of positive reinforcement for. And it was something that I felt made me special. Um, and so I kind of continued doing that um, through high school and, you know, with with classical musicians in particular, once you've started some, started something at a young age, you kind of feel like, well, this is I've been decided for me. This is kind of what I'm doing, and um, and you go to school for it, and then you get a graduate degree in it, and then um, you do it for a while um, before you realize that it it really is not for you. What was that moment like when you realized it wasn't for you? It's, 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 a, it's an interesting question because I, I do feel like it was a series of gradual moments because um, the, the moment that I realized maybe performing wasn't for me was not when I realized that I was really um, not having a direct impact on anyone else with what I was spending most of my energy doing. And I know that's hard for a lot of people to understand because you feel like as a musician, you're communicating your art and you're you know, performing for audiences, but in reality, and again, this is where like, you know, we kind of have to, to look at like what we really want to spend our time doing. And in reality, what you spend your time doing as a classical musician is practicing your instrument by yourself in a room. Um, and there's very little communicating with people and connecting with people, even through performance. Um, so that was a big turning point for me when I realized, like, actually, I, I would like to, I, I get, I get lit up by having, you know, particularly small interactions, one-on-one -on -one or group interactions with people. And, um, I'm not getting that. Mm. What, do you know your human design type and profile? Well, I'm a projector. I don't, know like all the specific uh six three i think projector oh okay you, yeah that makes sense um there's a lot of experimentation mm, for a six okay. three a lot of uh you you don't know mm -hmm. you don't know anything until you try it yes no and i have tried <laughs> lots of things yeah yeah i mean after the music I, there were several other kind of careers but <laughs> what else um, well, so, so after performing, um, I decided that I would be, I, I also have this kind of social justice interest and I thought that I could take some of that experience I had through music, um, and, um, be a teacher, like an element, like a music teacher in an elementary school, um, with kids who were maybe not having a, the widest, uh, you know, experiences in life. Um, and so I did teach, um, elementary school music in the city of St. Louis for a couple of years. Um, and then I uh, actually tried going to library science school. So I was going to try and be a librarian. Um, and then I ended up working in, um, in the field of arts administration for a long time. Let's back up to library school. Yeah. Because there's a part of me that's like, that's awesome. And there's another part of me that's like, who goes to library school? <laughs> so what, what drew you to library school? Um, well, again, it was kind of a, a what you think it's going to be like versus what it actually is like. Um, and so I've always, always loved to read. I mean, I, you know, I can't remember when that wasn't like my favorite thing to do, basically. Um, and uh, also at this point in time in my 30s, I was starting to realize like, oh, I'm an introvert. Oh, I'm an empath. Like, oh, there are things that I am highly sensitive, like 
all these loud noises on the orchestra stage are like kind of stressful for me. The pressure of performing is kind of stressful for me. Sitting in a library and helping people find books that they loved just felt like, oh my gosh, like what could be better? Um, uh, and then I and then I started taking the courses for the coursework and I realized like, oh, this is like computer coding and that's not so oh. much what I'm into. <laughs> it's amazing how much of library science these days is just really tech focused. And um, again, just a different uh, reality of what I had an, as an expectation in my head. But yay you for recognizing like as a projector, you are, you're most of your time is supposed to be sent honing your wisdom. Mm -hmm. So thinking like on the surface, it looks like being a librarian could be all this time reading and learning about all these different books and then guiding people, which is what projectors are here to do. Like people will invite you to tell them what books to read and you will be able to guide them. And it sounds perfect. That is, that was exactly my thought process. And I, of course, I didn't have the words to know why those things all felt so good to me, but that was exactly my thought too. Yeah. You just named it all. So then this happened, the mindful closet. Mm -hmm. Where'd this come from? Um, it was just kind of an evolution of all of those things. I, as I kind of mentioned a minute ago, I had been really realizing that um, the fields and jobs within the field that I had been working in were so um, just naturally opposed to my kind of sensitivity and my, my temperament. Um, and so I started actually thinking like, what would work for me? How would I be happiest to spend my day? Like, you know, um, and to be perfectly honest, um, there were several years of this. I mean, this is I, I think maybe this is a thing of projectors too, but like, I mean, this has literally been a quest for me since high school of like, what will I do with my life? You know, like it's been an ongoing thing. It's never been something that I felt was resolved. Um, although I do feel pretty resolved at this point, but, um, but basically it had been an ongoing thing. I was in therapy um, and my therapist said, you know, we'd been talking about things that I love doing and fashion always came up. Um, and then she said, what is something, this was the question that really changed everything for me. She said, what do people ask for your help with? And again, that was something, what had, what had kept being an obstacle for me with fashion was that I felt like I had no authority. I felt like I had no qualifications. I had no, who, who was I to be able to tell people something about their clothes? And um, when she asked that question, I realized that other people had been asking me for my help. So again, invitation, right? Um, and so all along, like since, you know, I don't know, middle school, you know, it would be like, come over and help me figure out what to wear or, you know, help me clean out my closet. And then, you know, throughout like my adult life, I was going and buying things for people, like if they needed something and, um, and, and I would get, and this is embarrassing to say, cause I'm not quite used to saying nice things about myself, but, you know, I would always get feedback on, my clothes and how I looked and that people really appreciated it. Um, so that question from my therapist was like a big game changer. Mm, and I want to reflect to you that this six line is actually a born authority. Like you, you already were an authority from day one. You just had oh, to grow wow. into believing it and seeing it for yourself. Oh, Wow. I did not know that. That is, that is really huge. And, and even after I started my business, it took years before I felt, I felt that. Um, 
but I think that you're, I, I know that you're right, that that was true all along, but I just couldn't acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. Of course, because of all the messages exactly. we're getting from everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of messages that um, in that particular sense, that was like, you know, you have to have worked really hard at something and kind of killed yourself to learn it and also have like arbitrary, you know, certificates from some school saying that they taught it to you. Um, and so it was really hard for me to trust that maybe this was something I just had a sense of. The, those messages too are so funny because I can see how, oh, that would lead you to music. Mm, and okay. and then I see I see it in myself. I remember. I'm pretty sure I've shared this on a, on the podcast before. But when I was in coaching school, I went out for a run one morning. This was at like I was staying in a hotel, and I went out for a run and came back. And one of the people that worked at the hotel said, "Oh, are you a professional athlete?" And I was like, "No, I'm a science writer." And I was walking back to my room, and I was like. Well, that was interesting because at the time I was, I was doing like one science writing project a month at the most, but the majority of my income was coming from triathlon coaching, which is kind of like being a professional athlete. And then I was in coaching school to become a professional coach, but because I had a graduate degree in marine conservation science, I was like, Oh, that's legit. That's the one I worked for. That's the one I earned. Exactly. I felt the exact same way. And I, um, it is really also so much about being able to say what you do in a way that is something that will feel like you're worthy, right? To other people. Yeah. Like, yeah, like a science writer. That's like, wow. Um, and, and, and for me, like saying I'm a musician, like that was, that was my identity. It was, it was really, really um, caught up in, in how worth, worthy I felt. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're so funny <laughs> humans. <laughs> I know. So what are the messages that we get around clothes? Oh, man, there's, there's so many. Um, but I have a few favorites <laughs> that I see over and over. Um, the first one that I think just kind of the majority of women can identify with is that we are given this message from early, early on that bodies shouldn't change over the course of our life. Um, that our bodies get set when we're in high school. And if your body gets bigger or smaller or stronger or weaker or grows humans or has injuries, you know, that, that it should always revert back to that self that it was. Um, and, and, you know, as I speak about it, I hope people hear how ridiculous that sounds, you know? Yeah. It's hard to carry, carry babies without your body changing. That would be miraculous. It it would be very, um, it would be abnormal, which is what I want people to remember and understand that it's more normal for your body to change over time than it is for it to stay the same. And, And I've met, I've met a couple of people, you know, I've worked with several hundred clients at this point. I've met a couple of women whose bodies really have, for the most part, stayed the same. But even those women, their skin changes, their flesh changes, you know, and they, when we are not allowed to accept those changes, we can't help but feel bad about where we are, Mm -hmm. you know? 
Um, and so uh, for me, that is pretty much the biggest change overall. And, and it relates so much into, oh, sorry, the biggest external message women are given about that just our bodies should not change and how that manifests is in women holding onto clothes from a past self that they feel they should force themselves to revert back into or that it's not okay if they've changed out of those clothes and grown into a new body, um, or that they're not allowed to buy clothes for this new body and that they should force their body back into the old clothes. That feels icky. It's hard, yeah. I just realized one of the things that I held on to for a while is, um, I, I grew up a swimmer, mm. so I had big shoulders. Mm-hmm. I still swim but not as much. So my shoulders are a lot smaller than they used to be. Mm-hmm. And still short sleeved shirts I'm wary of. Mm, exactly. like, oh, will that fit me? Yeah. 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 And the interesting thing is too, um, that, yeah, I've, I've actually larger shoulders is something that I come across pretty often. And it's something that again, women are really um, conditioned to feel that somehow is um, undesirable you know? And, and so those are those other external messages. It's basically this, um, we could sum those all up with this kind of like European beauty standard that we're all expected to conform to, but everyone is either too big to fit into that standard, or they're too small to fit into that standard, or their feet are too big, or their shoulders are too broad, or their hips are too wide. Um, and, and if we could just question all of those and, and just realize I, I'm not, I'm not a religious person, but like, this is the way we were made and how can that be wrong? Why are we all expected to change ourselves instead of changing the narrative of what bodies look like? Yeah. I've been told, um, I was told in a yoga class once, so I have a really long torso and staff pose is when you're sitting straight up, legs straight out, and you're supposed to put your hands on the ground by your hips and then be able to push yourself up. Mm-hmm. And I can't reach the ground with my hands. Mm-hmm. That's how long my torso is, how short my arms are. Mm-hmm. But I had a yoga teacher tell me once, oh, you'll be able to push yourself up when you're, when you get stronger. I was like, no, no. Yeah. yeah. I want to honor the, the way my body is. And I happen to find it hilarious. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's so many things like that. It's like, oh, you'll work yeah. up to it and you'll get better. Mm-hmm. No, my arms are not going to yeah. grow. And I hope mm-hmm. my torso is yeah. not going to shrink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then the thing that comes into that with fashion is that we are expected to disguise any of those things that might be different. Yeah. So with, with the broad shoulders, um, you know, anytime I have a client who feels that way and, and by the way, it's usually almost unnoticeable from anyone else. You know, it's always that we feel these things are so obvious to other people and they almost never are. But, but whenever I, I have a client like that, um, or who has, you know, this, uh, I like to talk about just like in proportions and ratios, like, okay, maybe someone has a bigger proportion or a bigger ratio of their shoulder to their waist than someone else, or someone has a bigger ratio from their hips to their waist than someone else. Um, but again, who decided that this one ratio is the ratio we should all be you know, striving for. Um, but then, you know, often in my field of personal styling, um, if presented with that situation, uh, the conventional wisdom would be like, how can we disguise this? How can we make it look like that is not the situation? Um, and I, I'm just kind of ready to be done with all of that. I'm, I do not buy into dress for your fruit shape. Like, you know, are you an apple? Are you a pear? 
are you a banana? I don't know if banana is a thing, but you know, like we're just, we, we are who we are. Um, and, and I just think the world would be so much greater if we could just like look at everyone and say, oh, that person's hips are bigger in relationship to her waist than, than this person over here. Neither one is good or bad. You know, no, we've assigned it's this like morality to it. the person's hair color. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, I want to kind of just put a disclaimer out that, that it's, it's easier for me to say this than, than maybe for some other people. I, I'm a thin white woman. I have privilege that I haven't had to manage others, uh, kind of expectations of me as much as some other people. So I do, I do want to put that disclaimer out there, but, but even women who fit into the kind of mainstream beauty standard are constantly doing this to themselves as well. You know? Yeah. I think, oh, there's the messages we're getting from external sources, which are actually spoken sometimes. And sometimes it's just what we perceive, the things that we pick up that end up landing in us and we don't even recognize it's there. Mm -hmm. And then we're the ones repeating them to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it takes a lot. And, and that's kind of where I see my job coming into the world is to be the disruptor to those messages to say, wait a minute, you keep saying this to yourself, but have you thought about what that means and why you believe that, you know? Why do you believe that you should highlight your waist when actually you love these kind of oversized artsy tops? Do you know what I mean? Like this is the kind of thing where it comes down into like actual personal style is like, you've been told by magazines or, or articles that you Googled that if your body looks a certain way, these are the things you have to wear. And I just, I want to disrupt that idea that, that you can actually choose what you like the look of just based on aesthetics and decide that that's what you want to wear, regardless of, of how you came out of the womb and your body is shaped, you know, like you have no control over that. You should be able to choose the kind of stuff you want to wear. I have already given myself permission for this. But I'm also going to accept that as permission to not wear high-waisted things because I don't like things touching my stomach. Yeah. Well, this is, and this is like another layer of it, Kelsey, which is that, and this is something I've gotten really interested in over the last year or so is, is kind of embodiment and how we feel in our bodies. And I, I wonder you, you being an athlete, how much of this you might be more in touch with, but I, I had been very disconnected from my body and I feel like a lot of women are. And so therefore we put up with all these really uncomfortable things in our clothes because we've kind of, again, been given this message that like, if you want to look nice, it's going to be painful or it's going to be uncomfortable. Um, but yes, you have permission not to wear high-waisted things. If that doesn't feel good, literally on your skin, like you have permission not to wear a pencil skirt, even though someone says that's the way your body type looks best, or that's what's expected in your industry. Like you can't walk in those things. If that makes you <laughs> uncomfortable or unable to walk, you can choose not to do that. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's interesting to, to really think about how your clothes feel in your body. And, and, uh, and we were talking before also about like, you know, there are other external messages too about like, you can't wear, especially right now in the middle of a pandemic, um, leggings have kind of been villainized. Like, oh my God, if you're wearing leggings every day, that means you've given up. And like, what if leggings feel great? What if wearing leggings every day is actually empowerment? Yeah. What if that's saying, you know what? These feel really good and they look pretty amazing too. Who says yeah. having a fly and belt loops is like more 
I don't know, being more of a human. Right. Or more valuable or more worthy in some way or more serious or professional or uh, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And so some people, again, you have to decide what it is for you. I, I also know some people who say, wow, when I wear leggings every day, it feels too much like pajamas. And I don't feel like I've switched into my day until I put on something with a little more structure. Totally fine. But what's happening is that people are just getting kind of an overall message that where everyone feels bad if they're wearing leggings, because that means you've given up or you don't care. And that can, that's just not necessarily true. Um, it's the same, like for moms, a lot of times it's like, you know, they will really get down on themselves about like, this is what I'm wearing. Cause it's just easy. And what's wrong with easy? Like, why are we, you know, or jeans and a t-shirt. This is something I hear all the time from clients. I don't have a style. I just wear jeans and a t-shirt all the time. Well, guess what? What's wrong with jeans and a t-shirt? Who said that we have to wear like Pinterest level outfits every day for like, you know, going to the grocery store. And why can't dressing yourself be easy? Exactly. Oh my God. Thank you so much for saying that. Yeah. It, it is something that we've been conditioned to think. Um, it, it's another level of, of perfectionism that we're supposed to achieve. Mm. It's another level of striving. Um, but but just because we've been, you know, you know, assigned female at birth or grown up as female doesn't mean that there's something that we have to care about. Again, like for me growing up, the message was that I shouldn't care about it. And I do. And that's fine for me. For other people, if they want to throw on their leggings and a t-shirt and get to work every day and feel great about it, that should also be okay. Yes. Um what are some of the other messages we get? Oh, yeah. Um, this is a big one. And this one kind of ties into the, um, the, the kind of consumer um, conversation that we were having at the beginning is that we should always be wearing new things. I, I'm speechless on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and if you think about it, this is the message we're given that you can't repeat your outfits. You can't show up somewhere wearing the same thing. You can't go to one wedding after you wore the dress to a previous wedding as a guest. You can't, um, you can't be seen. You can't post photos on social media wearing the same thing that you've already been wearing in another photo. That's such crap. Like that's such crap. So what does that enable? That enables this idea that we have to be constantly consuming. It makes me wonder then what are clothes? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a great question because for some people, and again, this is, this is not necessarily for them. For some people, it is an outlet for creative expression and wearing their clothes in different ways is a form of, uh, is a hobby. You know, it's something they enjoy spending their time doing. I would argue that a lot of women feel like they should be doing that and feel bad because they're not, because it is simple and easy and you can wear the same things all the time. And, and yet if, if making themselves a work of art every single day doesn't light them up, then that's not what they're supposed to be doing. Exactly. Yeah. And what they're supposed to be doing is, is choosing a uniform that feels good for them mm-hmm. and wearing basically the same thing every day and never giving a thought to it again and going about their work that is much more important, whatever yeah. that might be. Where do these messages come from? <sighs> Well, that one specifically comes from advertisers. It comes from corporations trying to make money. I mean, it truly is something that came, um, you know, I've done a bit of research into this. I don't know all the details, but, 
you know, essentially there was no advertising industry until the earliest early 20th century. And basically, you know, as like kind of the industrial revolution happened, we began to have factories that could make things faster and cheaper and easier. And our society started to have an excess of things. And what we had to do to get rid of those things was to advertise them and make people think we they needed them. And so, I mean, that's literally where it happened, you know, like there are so many products and I can't think of uh, all the examples, but like, for instance, there's something about how mouthwash was invented to do some other task. I don't remember what it was, but basically they were like, oh, we have this product and we need to get rid of it. So what can we decide that it does now? And we are going to advertise that this is what it does and, and sell it. And, and that was just it. I mean, it was never created out of a specific need for something. Um, I think so, Viagra also was originally created for something like else. Some other use. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was like, well, let's, let's, uh, let's, it looks like it does this. So let's try and get rid of it for anyway. But, but yeah, so, I mean, I think it's my personal belief that it all comes from, from just the advertising industry. And then the more that became a standard, the more it became, well, let's produce more things to sell because now we have this way of telling people they need these things. Um, and so, you know, and, and for me, I believe that's true because you can look back a hundred years ago and say, how many articles of clothing did people have in 1920, as opposed to 2020? Um, they probably had about six, you know, um, and that was what they needed. And it, it wasn't until kind of the fifties and the post World War II that um, women were really started to, to, to be told that like you need to have a new outfit for all these things. Granted, there was always like a level of society where it was maybe somewhat standard, but for the average person, um, you know, advertising and, and fashion manufacturing really played a part in, in us getting that message. Do companies actually sell out of, as they're trying, as they're creating more products and selling them, are they selling out of things? What's happening to the extras? Hmm. That is, um, I'll speak to what I know about it. I mean, it's definitely something that other people probably know a whole lot more about, but, but no, in general, um, because things are not made to demand necessarily. I mean, they're being produced without knowing how many of them that will be sold. And so when they're not sold, they're marked down, um, tried to sell at a lower price. And then um, if that doesn't happen, quite often what's happening a lot of times, and there's been a lot of stories about this in the media that a lot of fast fashion retailers and actually even some luxury retailers, because of not wanting to devalue their product, they are destroying the excess. They're just lighting it on fire and getting rid of it. Because if it's known that there are excess luxury products, that would make the value of, of the one that is bought new much less. Um, and then especially fast fashion retailers like Zara or Forever 21 um, or H&M, that happens a lot um, with them too, because they're getting such a glut of new stuff in literally every day. Um, and they have to keep this stuff moving um, through, their, through their cycles. And if it doesn't get sold, it's just kind of, that's just, we just keep producing more. Mm. Humans can't handle abundance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so more messages, please. Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess one that we've kind of talked about a little bit um, already, but is that you should be actively, if you don't fit into this box of this um, white patriarchal beauty standard, you should be actively 
pursuing that as like a main component of your, your life energy. Wow. I hope, I hope everyone listening and everyone in the world has better things to do with their time (laughs) than, um, pursuing this beauty standard. Yeah. Please do your work in the world, share your gifts. Yeah. And you just think exactly. And you just think of all the ways. And again, um, it's different for everyone. And again, for some, some people, this is, this is an artistic outlet, but, um, what are the ways in which we are being told to change, to fit that? And how are we spending time pursuing it? We're, we're, we're doing makeup tutorials. We're buying lots of products for hair and makeup. And, um, we are again, like trying to dress our bodies so that we fit into that way. And then most importantly, you know, we're, trying to shrink our bodies, um, to fit into an acceptable standard of, of, uh, you know, an acceptable size and the amount of time and energy that, that women in our society expend on trying to change their bodies. Um, it's, I mean, it's sad. It kind of makes me sad sometimes. And, and it's a, a long process for a lot of people to go to go through and it's not easy, but, but it is interesting to think about what could happen if we didn't spend so much time and energy thinking about what we're eating and how we're moving our body and tried to just listen to our bodies and what they need. Yeah. Uh, Our bodies are so wise and they always tell us what they need. Mm -hmm. Always. Yeah. Yeah. And restricting our body in any of these various ways, um, to be perfectly honest, and there's been a lot of science about this, it doesn't usually work. And it's, uh, again, just kind of a lot of wasted energy. And, and there's a lot of grief around that, I think, for a lot of women of, of feeling like, but I've tried to achieve this thing for so long. And how can I let that go? Um, and how can I accept that I've put all this energy into something that's not giving me what I tried to get out of it? Um, yeah. Yeah. And to those women, I would encourage them to be at peace with that process and that they are where they are and to learn. And this is a hard, this is hard work, but to learn to love themselves and from that love, take action. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a really, um, it's a, it's a long process. And, and I would even say perhaps um, getting to the body acceptance before you get to body love can be helpful. Yes. Just knowing that you don't have to jump straight from feeling the need to change yourself to loving yourself. You can jump from feeling the need to change yourself to acceptance. This is where I am. And then maybe over time you can get, you know, to the next step. But yes, to go from instead of looking in the mirror and criticizing everything to going and looking in the mirror and noting it like I'm in a mindful way. Okay. There's a wrinkle there. There's a freckle there. Mm-hmm. Eventually it might be years and years away. Mm-hmm. You will learn to love that freckle mm-hmm. with all your heart mm-hmm. and the wrinkle. Mm-hmm. All of them. <laughs> all of you. Mm-hmm. Are you, are there any other messages that we get? Um, I'd say those are the, the biggest ones that I kind of come across a lot is especially, you know, this, um, so again, just to kind of say quickly, it's that, 
you know, the message that body shouldn't change over time, the message that you have to fit into a standard that was defined by European men 400 years ago, <laughs> um, the idea that you have to constantly be showing up new and shiny and um, expending that energy. Um, and then just the idea that, that you can let the energy of trying to change yourself go. Mm. And I was reminded just as you're rehashing those that a few years ago, I was told I should try and be more feminine mm. by hiding my muscles. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah. <sighs> yeah. Well, again, I mean, so if we could just dissect that for a minute, mm -hmm. um, first of all, the audacity, you know, <laughs> of, of someone to feel like they have the right to comment on your body. Mm -hmm. Um, but second of all, who gets to decide what feminine is? You are exactly. feminine. You, exactly. you, are, you are you. And if that is your energy, um, and is that, if that's the gender that you choose, you know, like, um, and, then, and then who's to say that, that muscles aren't feminine? And then who's to say that muscles are bad? Like that's inherently saying that they're bad. Um, there's just, you know, in a small statement like that, it's like there's so much to uncover and release and and to be and unfortunately when it's said um it's not as easy as just like processing it and releasing it those things really can hurt and go very deeply and be remembered for a very long time yeah. i mean I, most of the people i talk to have some moment in their childhood adolescence young adulthood when something was said to them and that's what gave them the story about their body that they carry for years afterwards Absolutely. Goodness. I remember, oh, I was like 13 on a swim team training trip and checking out after breakfast at like IHOP or something like that with my whole team. And the cashier said to me, ladies first, and asked for the girl to, behind me to go in front of me. And I never knew what that meant but I was very confused by it. Mm -hmm. I kind of, it's like, I didn't understand it enough to be hurt by it, but you know, it's been 20 plus years since then. And I still remember it and still don't know what to do with that comment. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard not to be recognized as yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It is for all of us. Mm -hmm. Okay. Daisy. Mm -hmm. You, right now, you have the mic. What do you oh. want people to know? Like, what do you want to scream from the rooftops? I think that it is that everyone, every woman, maybe men too, but I'm not as concerned about them, but every woman has the right and deserves to feel good in her clothes and to wear clothes that fit her body and to wear clothes that feel good to her and to wear clothes that she loves and that express her own personal style, whatever that is. If that is yoga pants and a t-shirt, if that is sequins and heels, um, that, you know, we are not limited by what other people have told us that we have to wear. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it can be yoga pants and a t-shirt one day and sequins and heels the next, exactly. or even in the same day. Exactly. Such a good point. I mean, that's another thing that comes up all the time too, is that people feel like once I've defined a style, that must be it. That's the rule. 
And we're constantly changing and constantly evolving. And as our bodies change, our style will change. And as our lives change and the activities we do every day, our clothing will change. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to say as you're saying that is, and sometimes we get cold. Yes. <laughs> and just keep putting things on until we feel warm. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and pay attention to your body. If your body, I mean, how many times, I don't know. I mean, this is something that, again, I'm, I'm starting to, to get more comfortable with, but, but when something is uncomfortable, do you ignore it? Do you, you know, say, well, I'm fine. Uh, you know, do you have to, do you have to put on an, another thing not to be cold? Do you have to take something off? So you, so you're not too warm. Do you need to unbutton your jeans so that your stomach doesn't hurt? You know, yes. um, start to listen to what your body is telling you and then put clothes on it that make it feel good. There's so many funny things like, are your toes turning purple because that you need to put socks on yeah. and you need to put foot prisons on? Yeah. Um, are you allergic to that sweater? Like, is it itching? Is it making you sneeze? Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Like down to, I mean, there's so many things. There are so many things like people won't they won't comprehend, like we'll be going through a closet and they'll say, Oh, I, I never wear that shirt. I hate that shirt. And I'll be like, okay, well, what do you have to wear in order to wear this shirt? And they're like, oh, I have to have this special bra and I have to have this special camisole and blah, blah, blah. And I've got to put on five things before I can wear that shirt. Okay. That's why you never wear the shirt because it's a freaking hassle and you don't want to deal with that, but you haven't thought through it far enough to get to the point where you know that. And then to be able to accept the point that you will never want to go through all that. And so you may as well just donate that shirt, mm -hmm. <laughs> just let it go and let that energy go of, of, of having to work so hard. Mm. Now, do you have any, like people talk about like a capsule wardrobe or like, and I don't even know the official definition of that. Mm -hmm. Is that like having a uniform? Kind of. I, I consider a capsule wardrobe, a limited number of clothing items that can be mostly mixed and matched um, with each other. So there's not a lot of thought required to kind of put, you just grab a couple of the things and, and you're dressed. It sounds um, to me what, like, what, Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say what, what is um, helpful about a capsule is just the limited options because our brains can't, we think we want more options, but our brains actually can't handle or process that many options. And that's why so many people get overwhelmed by their closets. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, I, I think it's a, I don't think everyone needs to live with one, but I do think it's a helpful process to kind of experiment with. It sounds to me like your goal and I, I want to know if this is right, but like, is to really have people be in touch with their bodies, with their authentic selves and desires. And I don't know the other word, so let's skip that. And to like be in joy yeah. and experience joy as they're dressing and as they're like mm -hmm. wearing their clothes, like yeah. the joy you get when you're, well, I don't know this anymore, but used to get with like, oh my God my underwear matches today. Mm, like, haha, mm -hmm. it's like yeah. my little secret. Right. Exactly. Like a little secret joy. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that's, that's the thing is what, what that is for you doesn't necessarily have to match up with what other people expect from you. It is that kind of secret joy. And yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, that, that for some women, again, maybe some women who are, who are in marginalized bodies who have never been allowed or given permission to, adorn themselves the way they wanted to, that by finding special things and allowing themselves special clothing, that could be their source of joy. Or it could be for someone who is just very uh, 
you know, has, has other things going on. The joy could be in, I'm so glad I found this combination of two things that I can wear every day. And that's joyful because I took five seconds and I'm done. Yeah. So it, yeah, definitely. I agree with that. You just reminded me that I would like to shout out to the women who shared an office building with me years ago, back when I worked for the federal government and I would wear work pants or a skirt. And I had a lot of bright colored tops, button down shirts. And I had people thank me for wearing bright colors. Mm. As I was working in DC, they're mm. wearing gray and black and Navy. Mm. And I think I finally said to one woman, these are all elevator conversations. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. You can do it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. And the counter to that, I feel like I keep having like counter, but I guess, you know, the idea is that it's not, it's not an either or because for some people that is uncomfortable. Exactly. And, and I would be one of those people that, you know, but at the same time, clearly the people who are responding to that, that may have been something that resonated with them too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's all, it's all an interesting an interesting practice of, of just listening to yourself and what brings you joy. And how to, how does embodying our style and understanding it bring us home to ourselves? Mm. Oh, I love the way you put that question. I think it brings it home because for me, it brings all the energy back to us, right? We're not expanding or expending this energy going outward. You know, what are people going to think? Is this, am I doing this right? Is this something that, you know, is, is approved of? Um, but if you are listening to yourself and your body and doing what makes it feel good, then that energy is grounded in you. Does that make sense? Yeah. It sounds like what you're saying is that you're giving us permission to dress for ourselves, not for other people. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. 100%. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Anything external. Ultimately, what I've seen, you know, in all my experiences, that doesn't make you feel at home within yourself because those are external messages you've been given. And until you can listen to the internal messages coming from in you about what you need in your clothing, not what an Instagram influencer says you need or what an email advertisement says you need, but listen to, you know, I, you know, for example, if your body is telling you it wants soft, uh, soft things that have pockets, or if your body is telling you that it wants something that feels a little more controlled and a little more structured, um, in order to feel confident, or, you know, there's just, there's a a variety of messages that can come from within you, but you just kind of have to, to clear the external noise so you can listen. Mm. It's all about remembering who you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's all connected, right? It's Mm -hmm. all connected. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that we should have talked about? Other than finding the perfect place on earth to live? No, I think we're, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're going to continue that conversation. Yeah, that'll be an ongoing conversation. <laughs> well, Daisy, how can people learn more about you and work with you? Um, so the best place to find me is my website, mindfulcloset.com. Um, and I'm on Instagram at mindfulcloset. Um, and I try and 
be intentional with my time there. So I'm not always there, but, uh, but I have a schedule. I have a routine. Um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday on Instagram. The rest of the time, just um, go to my website at mindfulcloset.com. Those are beautiful boundaries. Thanks. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Daisy. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad we connected and, and I really enjoyed the conversation. That's it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Daisy. I think she's amazing. And you know what? She's also really good at what she does. I loved her earrings, the earrings she was wearing while we were recording. And she, and I think the ones she was wearing were plastic. And I was like, oh, it'd be really cool if they came in wood. So a few days later, she sends me links to the earrings in wood. She had found them on Etsy. I just, I'm always so in awe of people with these gifts that I do not have. And she has those gifts. So anyway, please go follow Daisy, work with Daisy, and just dig into everything she has to offer. She is an amazing human with so much love to give. And if you want more from me, of course you can get it here on the Find Your Awesome podcast. And of course you can get it on my YouTube channel. You can also go spend plenty of time playing around on my website at kelseyabbott.com. But whatever you do, remember, remember who you are. Remember that you are loved. And remember that I love you. Go forth and be awesome.